You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Alex Farmer, the CCO at Nazasa. The most important thing for us was being able to take customer feedback because we, we, we ran a customer survey, I think a couple months before I joined. And one of the big pieces of feedback was three things. Your people are amazing. Your product is too hard to use and I don't really know where to go to for what. Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you are well and that you are ready for an episode that will be full of insights around customer success and how you can work with community-led growth in a really exciting way. Indeed, indeed. And I can promise you one thing. This will be a fast-paced and a fun one. We, we, we know Alex from, from, from the past here, and this will be an energetic one. Yeah, and we might go off track a few times, but we, we will yeah, get back to the topic. <laughs> yeah, I promise you that. Let, let's, let's see where we'll end up. But speaking about going off track, before we jump into the actual episode, there's a lot of stuff happening. You've probably seen that both in your email and on, on our LinkedIn pages and so on. But you know, officially, you can now actually go ahead and buy tickets for Sassiest 2023. The event is being hosted in beautiful Malmö, Sweden, April 18th and 19th. That's when we're collecting the community again. And I want to highlight here that uh, last year, some of you guys missed to, to lock in your tickets. We're capping it again this year, 1200 tickets. So head on over to sassiest2023.com to read more about this fantastic event. Wow, wow, we were. That's gonna be so much fun and uh, can't wait to, to meet you all there. But now it's time to get right into the interview. Today, we are super happy to be joined by Alex Farmer, the CCO at Nazasa. So welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Long time uh, listener, first time caller. <laughs> Very good. We're so excited to have you here. And Thomas, I'm actually impressed that you got like Nazaza. You got that right. Like there was a little bit of emphasis and oomph in how you said that. Yeah, but uh, something similar to Sassy. I, I just, you know, got the right vibe from the beginning here. D- did he get that right, Alex? He got it perfectly. And we definitely <laughs> did not practice that together earlier. <laughs> I can tell you that. Hey, that's awesome. Hey, Alex. We know you very well. You've obviously been part of our community. You've spoken at our events and so on. But should there be somebody that doesn't know Alex? Who's Alex Farmer? You do know me very well, Thomas and Daniel. I'm very sorry for that fact. But uh, (laughs) thanks again. For some reason, I've been invited to speak here on this podcast as well. Um, Yes, my name is Alex Farmer. My accent is from California. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area um, uh, for a while and then uh, moved to the East Coast in Boston and then uh, for college and then came to the UK like six months after graduating from university. So I'm actually based here in London um, and currently CCO, Chief Customer Officer at Nazaza. Uh, and before that, I spent two years at a company called Cognite as VP Customer Success. That's where I guess I got my uh, ticket into the sassiest and SaaS Nordics community is an Oslo-based SaaS company. That's right. Um, exactly. I, you can never take it away from me. Never for <laughs> life. I think. I think. I think you told me that once. Yeah. Uh, before that, uh, I spent uh, eighteen months as VPCS at a uh, legal tech company in London, and before that, I spent five years uh, at a company called FairSale, which was in the HR tech space, and I joined as employee thirty-two, like two years after graduating from college. 
Um, and for me, that's kind of where my career started. I became our first CSM six months after joining. And, you know, we were about a million pounds in revenue and we grew over those five years to 20 um, and kind of scaled it out. So quick question for you then, like, you know, you've dedicated your career to customer success. Like, how come? What Was that the original plan? Like you were like, when you were 12, I was like, I want to work in customer success. I want people to yell at me and I want to help them get better. You know what? Uh, it's Maybe that's your experience at CS about the yelling, Daniel. <laughs> I, I don't get yelled at very much, although there is still time on our recording session, so I welcome your yelling. Um, good question. You know, people growing up, they wanted to be astronauts or actors, and I was there in kindergarten saying, you know, screw that. I want to be in customer success. And at that time, <laughs> I'm not that young. At that time, I don't think that term existed. So so there is a more to the story there. Um you know, to be honest, that like the 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 the, sh- the crappy answer uh, is that I fell into it, loved it, and just started sprinting. But maybe I can give it a little bit more meat there. I was done after college, done learning about doing stuff, and just wanted to learn by doing stuff. Right. That's me. As you know, my personality is kind of I need to touch the hot stove to realize that it's on. And I'm sure I know you're not inviting my parents to to follow up on a podcast, but they would tell you that actually happened in my youth. I think I burned my hand a few times, <laughs> um, but I've never unlearned that. So you know, after college, people were thinking about law school, business school, and I was just thinking about starting to to do things. Um, I started as an implementation consultant, and actually, the company Fairsale I mentioned, I joined as an implementation consultant. But six months in, kind of was bored of the transactional, build it out for three months and leave. Um, and I remember my boss at the time on LinkedIn, I think January 1st, 2015, I saw a job spec he posted for CSM and I read it and I thought, this is me, you know, it's, it's not too, it's, uh, it's different every day. Um, you know, there's some strategy, some commercial, some technical, and I really like kind of being right at the center of, uh, 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 of all the departments within your company, but also, you know, of all the customers assigned to you. Uh, and, and if I may, I guess the fun part, I remember, uh, you know, I think six months into my career, getting on an airplane and flying to South Africa to to meet one of our large customers, uh, you know, and I thought I had made it at the age of 22. So that was also pretty nice. But there you go. <laughs> and, and also fast forward a little bit, you have been very active in the sort of international customer success community as well. So could you tell us a little bit about that, what you're doing there? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, customer success is if done badly, is is a rebrand of existing roles, right? So, you know, let's call our sales team, I've seen customer success, or let's call our support team customer success. And I think, you know, when I came to Oslo, for example, with, with Cognite, there was a small, very, very small group of people who were doing customer success, and they were struggling to articulate what the heck that meant, right? They were struggling to tell their CEOs that no, they shouldn't be doing support cases, they should be focused on other things. And I think at, a, at the, the most strategic level, they were struggling to articulate their business value to the company. And that's not unique to Oslo, right? That's unique to customer success in markets that are maybe kind of, uh, you know, let's say less uh, mature, right? CS started in the U.S. and then I think, you know, maybe came to, to, to some European markets in like 2015. And no, it's not just because I came, became a CSM in <laughs> London in 2015, I'm suggesting that. Um, and now it's kind of kind of growing, but needs help navigating. Um, so, you know, it can be a really lonely place. You know, as Daniel, as you say, you're getting yelled at, but you're also meant to present about, you know, your ARR forecast for the next 12 months. Right. But you're trying to save this customer that shouldn't really be a customer in the first place. Um, so so that I think, and then also customer success just as a business community is just so open, I find, 
maybe it's naivete, maybe I'm just looking for friends, <laughs> but like everyone is like super open and uh, willing to donate their time. And it's, so it's a very easy t- community to tap into. All right. Hey, awesome. So I, I have a, in my mind, at least an interesting question. Let's see if the audience also thinks it's interesting. <laughs> I'll let you know what I think as well. Yeah, go on. Please. So in your world, is there one definition of what customer success is or should be in a SaaS company or are there multiple truths? That is such an interesting question, Daniel. Thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so there should be. I mean, obviously, you know, you can define things a little bit differently, but let's start with some keywords, right? Customer success, by definition, has to be proactive. And I know we kind of throw that word around uh, a lot, but it means that I'm going out to the customer and I'm looking to understand their goals. I'm stepping out of my company, stepping into their business, looking to understand what they're trying to accomplish and helping them navigate that journey. So for me, customer success, I mean, I guess the kind of popular definition is uh, our, our job is to help our customers achieve their desired outcomes. Right. That's a little too buzzwordy. Ultimately, sales and marketing paint a picture. These are the things we could do for you. Here's the success you could have. Right. Customer success is ensuring they have success. But to be clear, we're not doing the job for them. We're helping them navigate doing the job themselves, or we're helping them navigate our own internal organization to find the right team that can help them make progress in achieving those goals. Right. Maybe I could, yeah, not as succinct as you might like, but hopefully quite uh, uh, all-encompassing. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Like I'm taking away with me, like you're acting as success guides. Yeah. Well, my American analogy, Daniel, that really doesn't play so well over here, but I'm going to keep saying it is you're quarterbacking the customer journey. So you might not like that, but I do. So I'll say it anyway. <laughs> and before we go in and talk a little bit about Nasasa, uh, you can get to plug the Customer Success Excellent Excellence Award that you're running. Oh, I'm so surprised you asked me to do that, Thomas. Thank you. Yeah, you forced me to it. No. Oh, stop it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so that's actually, you know, I think a good segue for that is, is really talking about community um, and also talking about the challenges that CS leaders have. We're still a very young function as a, you know, compared to sales, compared to marketing. And there's a lot of, Uh, thought leaders out there that are the same thought leaders of five years ago. There's also a lot of people that are kind of just starting to lead customer success teams that are probably doing a better job than those people who became thought leaders five years ago. So in May of 2020, I launched an initiative called Customer Success Excellence, which we have called the first awards program dedicated to customer success. Fast forward two years later, we hosted our first event in London, an in-person awards ceremony. There was a red carpet There was a nice kind of seated meal and some MCs. Uh, We're coming to the United States uh, next year as well. So we've done the EMEA region, and then we're doing the Americas region. There's five award categories, Best CS Leader of the Year, CSM of the Year, Customer Success Rising Star. Those are the awards for individuals. And then the awards for innovation, Best Use of Technology in CS, and Best a Most Innovative Customer Success Initiative. And the most important thing here is that we find... We are a meritocratic awards program that finds the next guest on your podcast, that finds the next thought leader. Exactly. And some good guests for our upcoming events as is 2023. So, yeah. One of our EMEA winners is actually based in Sweden. So, maybe maybe we'll make that happen. There you go. Cool. Let's talk about that later. So, best of luck with that. A great initiative. Thank you. So, Nazaza, what can you tell us? What, what are you guys doing? Well, I've been there five weeks, so uh, I'm not still trying to figure it out, but I'll give you my <laughs> best answer. Um, Nazaza is a travel tech company, and what we do is we help travel companies and tour operators deliver personalized multi-destination tours without friction for consumers. That's a lot of buzzwords. Again, what does that actually mean? If you want to book a package holiday today, you're usually stuck with a flight to somewhere, 
a beach hotel, and a flight back. People don't really want to travel one destination anymore. People want to travel and see the world. So if you want to do that and build a two-week itinerary that stops in Greece, Turkey, Bulgaria, and Romania. Look at you knowing the European geo. I'm impressed. <laughs> Amen. I've been here 10... I'm actually a bit of a geography buff, believe it or not. Don't quiz me live, but let's, uh, look, we'll do that later. That's the game show portion of our recording, I believe. Right, that's at the end. Do you do this, um, you know, there, I, I don't remember what, what it's called, but you do this... Uh, like Google Maps challenges, there is a service. I know exactly what you're talking about, and that's way too hard because it shows you like a street view and you have to figure out where in the world that is. Nah, I just... So there are TikTokers live streaming and they can sort of point every, anywhere in the world where a certain picture is. It's, it's super impressive. I, I aspire to, to, be, to be that one day, I think. What, when I semi-retire, that'll be my focus, Thomas. Mm -hmm. um, but so, so the point I'm making is, you know, people want to be able to book their own tours in destinations they like, in hotels they like, with flexibility. Um, but you can't do that. You either, you know, your option as a consumer now is to build it all yourself or pay a travel agent to build it manually. So this technology offers tour operators like, for example, TUI or FTI based in Germany, Explore, uh, the ability to offer these complex multi-destination itineraries and then let the consumer personalize so they capture more share of wallet. All right. Um, I've always, as I said at the beginning, I've always been interested in travel. So it's I'm like super excited to combine my professional passion, which is customer success, as we established, with a personal passion, which is leisure travel. So um, I'll let you know when we find some good deals as well. Don't worry about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I, I think also uh, my oldest daughter, she's 19 and she wants to go out in the world. And, and these kinds of traveling, multi-destination traveling is, uh, I mean, of high interest. But Can I just give one very quick example to, to, to kind of like paint this picture? Sure. Like, I think the ultimate vision is this. You have a travel blogger that blogs about this amazing like two-week trip they took to Southeast Asia there's no link you can click to just book that tour, Exactly. right? That doesn't exist. But if I could give that link to these travel agencies and tour operators, they capture a whole new market segment because we're able to serve up that itinerary. So uh, there's a lot of e-commerce kind of parallels here as well, but I maybe I'm too excited about that because I, of course, want to click those links and go, but go ahead. So the travel agencies are your customers. Is uh, When you talk about your ideal customer profile, is there any particular size of travel agency or, or do you target everyone in, the, in that business? I mean, you know, it's not a humongous market in terms of like uh, number of customers, right? There's some big, big names. Um, we, we work with the three largest tour operators in Europe at the moment. Um, we just made a small acquisition of a company in Latin America. So we're, we're launching in South America next. Um, and, and, and so, so I think in terms of customer profile, we're not looking for like the two person little travel agency that you just get on the phone with. That's not what we try and, uh, uh who we try and so, uh, help. It's much more about the large kind of package holiday providers that, you know, bluntly, uh, maybe are, are focusing more now on innovation to keep pace with the market. When before COVID, they didn't really have much time to innovate. It was about kind of pushing the existing business model forward as much as possible. COVID actually really gave them time to retool and digitalize. And that's, I think, why we see coming out of COVID a lot of success with the larger tour operators that need something new, need something different to compete. Makes a lot of sense. All right, let's try to put things in perspective. You know the next section here. Like, we, we, we need some numbers from you. Like, tell us a little bit about Zaza. Like, how big are you guys in terms of ARR? How fast are you growing? Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, we, the company's been around 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, it started as a B2C company. I, I'm going to butcher the founder story. I'm sorry to our CEO and, and co-founders, <laughs> but they met, like they, this company's based in Zurich in Switzerland. 
Uh, and they all, some of the team that co-founded it were like traveling around Vietnam and they basically wanted to start like a DMC, which is a destination management company. So like curating tours locally in Vietnam and they would sell those tours to some tour operator in Europe that to sell to European consumers. Right. So originally they built a platform to do this and they realized, A, there's no money in B2C and B, there's a real need for more personalization that we're offering to our end users. So they founded this company and pivoted to B2B in like 2016, 2017. Um, answers to your questions, current ARR, about $2.5 million. Uh, we just made an acquisition, so that sh I think goes up to three post-acquisition, which completes very shortly. Growth rate is a tough one because, you know, COVID, it kind of went on life support, but stuck around. And I think, again, the, the desire of these companies to innovate during COVID really helped us. Um, growth rate, you know, we expect to end the year at three and a half, four. And, and for us, our contract structure is very much based on booking volume of our tour operators. So as the market rebounds, our ARR rapidly increases. So we see a path to at least 7 million ARR by the end of 2023. Wow. Um, and that's kind of with, I mean, you know, what, what a privilege it is to be the post-sale leader. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I look up, I look forward to coming back and telling you my playbook to get 200% NRR. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we see a lot of upside because, you know, we do the onboarding, we get our customers live, and then the more markets they onboard, the more volume they do, and we get a percentage of that booking volume. So that 7 million is really focused more on existing customer growth and not so much on new customer acquisition. Yeah, and you alluded to that a little bit earlier also here that, you know, it's not a volume play. You have a few selected customers. I, I don't know how many they are, but around the world that, that you work with, and that's where you spend all your energy, right? Yeah, so we have about 50 customers at the moment. Um, and, and, and that's, I would say it's 40 before the acquisition and about 55 post-acquisition. Mm -hmm. the, the acquisition was a really small kind of starter product that allows you to optimize flight routes, but not book anything. Right. And, and, you know, we'll get into it some other time, but the, the, the focus of the acquisition was like finding a product-led growth tuck-in that allows us to show value of technology to tour operators without asking them to rip out their existing systems. Smart. Right? Because as you can imagine now, post-COVID, we're, you know, trying to capture market as fast as possible. I can't afford to be down for three months to rip and replace. So selling them this new tool to show them the power of technology and then starting to pilot the big product is really the strategy there. So we'll always kind of be mid to upper market with this early like long tail of, let's say, pre-conversion to, uh, to, the, to the bigger product offering. Right. We have 75 employees, um, again, focused mostly on Europe, but also in Latin America. We have some customers in Australia, for example, as well. So there's some selectivity there and also Canada. Um, and then funding, I think the business is raised about 11.9 million. Um, but again, that's a 10 year history, yeah. right? So, so for me, like, you know, two things, one, the traditional A to B to C doesn't apply to companies that have been impacted by COVID, but also for us, I think our CEO likes to call this the 4.0 or 3.0 <laughs> era of Mizaza. So, right. um, really exciting future. We just got to execute now. So I think definitely there is reasons to come back to you and uh, hear about the Nasasa story here. Uh, if I keep dodging your calls, Thomas, we failed miserably and we didn't <laughs> execute. So so great. Good. A lot of pressure now. No. So today we're going to go into a use case actually from your time at Cognite when you work with community-led growth for high-touch customers is the topic of the day. So So to just start with some of the definitions here. What, what was a high-touch customer in, in your case? Yeah. So I spent two years leading the customer success team, which included community for a, a lot of the two-year period. 
Um, and we set out pretty immediately on a strategy to make things easier for our large accounts. When we say high touch, we're talking $850,000 a year average contract value, a good chunk of services based there, but you know, massive engagements to help digitalize oil and gas manufacturing and power and utilities companies. So, you know, a million plus for the large and the, you know, our long tail was like 300k a pop. And a lot of touch points with, with different uh, stakeholders in those companies. So we were a data, con- we are, so Cognite is, there we go, I'm still adjusting to the new role, yeah. <laughs> a um, data contextualization platform. So it should sit on top of your data lake and, and provide context to the different data types you have across maintenance history, time series data, IoT information. We provide industrial context. So you kind of basically the late, the, the, the term that I like to use, because I don't come from this industry per se, it's the pool heater for your data lake, because without it, it's freezing and nobody wants to go for a swim. Right. Yeah. And what was the typical user of this solution? Yes. So in an ideal world, we're selling to IT. They put it into their tech stack and they get every single department to use the tool. That's not really the go-to-market because the IT sector in that industry is a little bit not still focused on other more important, let's say, uh, less mature things. How about that? Okay. Um, like, you know, scanning PDF documents into the cloud. That is a real story. Um, so that's where we are. So instead, our go-to-market was much more focused on operations teams. So if it's an oil company, we would sell to the VP operations or the VP of predict, you know, condition-based maintenance so some kind of end user uh, 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 business side, let's say, stakeholder. And then our job was really hard because I could sell you, they didn't care about the platform that, 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 that made an amazing, you know, made the um, time to go live for their dashboard much faster. They just wanted a dashboard that could look at the production status of all their oil rigs. Okay. So the sell was much harder, right? And then how do I pivot that production dashboard and sell it, sell something similar to the condition-based maintenance person who doesn't care about production? Mm. So, so one of our big challenges and why we invested in community was trying to share the stories of different personas across customers. How can I tell the VP of operations that's never heard of Cognite who sits in one of our customers the story of a successful VP of operations from another customer. All right. And that was really important for our land and expand to really kind of build a Trojan horse to make IT pay attention, if that makes sense. All right. So, so now you have already given us sort of the reason why you wanted to start a community, but how the heck did you get people into this community or all of these different personas that you would like to go there? Because, I mean, they have a lot of other stuff to do in, in their regular day than going into a community on a web page somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that was a challenge. I think to be, if I maybe could just go back for a second about the why, because that's one reason, but I think the primary, I think that's a benefit, not a reason, actually. Okay. Our challenge was a challenge of disparate information and a fractured customer experience. Okay. Let me explain what I mean by that. So there's actually a slide that I remember very vividly, our community manager uh, and I put together 12 screenshots of 12 websites a customer could go to to experience something digitally that has to do with Cognite. Our academy site, our support portal, our GitHub repository, Stack Overflow, we had another type of training site that was more about the industry. Um, so, you know, huge number of places customers could go. Problem was that they had no idea where to go to accomplish their goals, right? So we, we, we launched these 12 different things. 
that customers could adopt, nobody's adopting them. Right. So for us, what was important was unifying all of those 12 places in, a, in, in one source of truth, one entry point. So when you go to, you know, when you become a Cognite customer, I don't send you a list of 12 different websites. I send you to our community and you can discover anything you want to discover there. That was priority one for us. All right. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, but going back, how, how actually did you manage to get people into this new community that you were launching? It's such an important question um, because I see so many communities launch and then fall over due to lack of engagement. And if, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation because if, you, if I'm a potential community engager and nobody's engaging, I'm not going to engage, right? So how do you drive the first adoption to drive the second adoption and then snowball? Could you force them? <laughs> I wish, right? Sit down. Open your computer and log in. So a couple of things. One, we made it really easy to sign in. Okay. Single sign-on across the support portal, the LMS, and the community. So you don't have 17 logins. You have one user account that you can, with click, uh, with one click, go to your support case, you know, the list of all your support cases, right back to community. And that was really powerful. And then we made it even more challenging to directly log in to the support site. You had to go through community to get to the support site. That's what I mean with forcing. Ah, good. Right. Okay. So not like, you know, sitting them down and like threatening them. Fine. No, good. No. Very strange that I went there. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that says a lot. This is, this is not a cry for help. Thank you very much. Um, so that was really important, right? Forcing the traffic, let's say. And we also needed to ensure that as soon as they signed the contract, all the resources that they needed were in the community because it's hard, you know, especially if you're kind of like a decision maker or somebody who's mildly engaged with the project, getting you there at start is the only time we're going to capture your attention. So onboarding documents live there. We launched a getting started with Cognite guide, yeah. right? And then we, you know, just really kind of drove traffic. The other thing that was really helpful, you know, you got to make it valuable. So we launched this is really I, i was against launching this uh and our director of community uh, uh very kind of um forcefully made a case that why well, i was an idiot um and she was correct launching the product ideation module my concern was when you launch ideation you have to be able to deliver and you know bluntly i think we were still working on organizing how we take customer feedback and execute on executing on it um but this actually made us get our, you know, proverbial shit together, if I may be so crass, mm. um, because uh, we had customers asking for things, product managers ha couldn't hide, they had to go and answer the customer question. And it, it really, you know, A, showed our customers, this is the place to go to kind of get traction. And we also launched early adopter groups in the community. So if we launch a product module in beta, the only place to give feedback is in a private community group, right? So really kind of extending the You meant forcing them to go there and then making sure that multiple personas could find value when they were there, wherever they were in their customer journey was important. Where people fall down is onboarding doesn't care about the community. It's a separate place. Customer success doesn't care about the community. Then it, it's a glorified support portal. Yeah. And guess what? You know, uh, uh, a lot of companies, when they launch community, they put it as like the 13th site Remember we had 12? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of companies say, oh, and go to the community. This is fun. You could do community things. And I'm a B2B user of a software. I don't care about that. Mm. I need something of value, and I'm not going to go out of my way to go to a community. I want to find where I log a support case. Yeah. If I stumble upon something valuable, then I'm going to come back. And that was really important philosophically, I think, for our adoption strategy. Yeah, I, I think that's really smart that you know you need to find that activation moment you know in, in your case it sounds like maybe it was like the 
the feature request session or discuss you know the, the future of the product otherwise there's a risk that people show up lurk around maybe just consume data yeah but don't contribute don't activate so i think it's really important that you highlight that you need to find whatever that is that activates people to actually contribute and not just consume yeah but uh, we have had a similar experience and i think a similar setup uh, before when we worked together daniel at at inriver but and and also as you mentioned this product ideation was probably the the thing with the most activity but in general it was hard to get engagement in in you know other discussions and forums and so where you wanted the users to share information their stories and so on so how did you sort of facilitate that or how did you get that going if 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 you got it to work yeah so we had two communities within the platform so you know to to let's demystify that for a second like there are kind of like there's the community platform itself that we used right that's kind of the software but within the software you can have two separate kind of let's call them forums so we can differentiate one forum we aimed at like our application developers citizen data scientists like the techie persona and that was a huge success right they were in there they were asking questions they were saying hey i see this error message i don't understand it and a lot of engagement um I left in September and even, you know, by the time I left, we were struggling with the digitalization community, which was aimed more at like the VP or director of digitalization who, you know, kind of have a lonely place in these big industrial companies trying to drive innovation, but like people not paying as much attention. It could have been so valuable. I think originally when we launched, we wanted both streams to be equally active and then we abandoned, we paused that because the, you know, we wanted to create success in one place that like unlocked a lot of blocked product feedback, blocked adoption. Yeah. And then we circle back on the digitalization community. So I guess kind of aiming at multiple personas was important and digitalization for us, that was a little bit more challenging. But what we did is we launched a, like a rotation. So like one CSM or one kind of uh, person in the company every month would post a piece of content that was interesting. Um, and that got some engagement. And, and then we would kind of partner with our product marketing team to repurpose some of their marketing content in community as well. Um, so there's some strategies there. I think the challenge is like, if I'm not in the product every day, I'm a little bit less interested in the community. And that was really kind of, you know, we have plenty of thoughts as to how to fix that moving forward. But I think that's a future state thing, not so much a present day thing. And maybe the user groups and that kind of things can have a similar function and, and could also in the long run, lead to a larger engagement also online when people sort of get to know each other and might want to con continue the discussions. And, and that's just, just quickly an important point because we also bring the community offline. So like we do like a VP digitalization forum every, uh, I think it was every three to six months. And then we would, we, I think the, the team was also planning to do some kind of like developer meetups as well. Um, and then you can connect the online to offline with some gamification. So like the MVP of the developer group gets a prize in the in-person event, which gets other people interested in joining the community. That's a good one. Yeah. So, you know, there's the, you know, gamification is a hell of a drug, man. People do a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff for points. We need more of that, Daniel. Exactly. Where's my, do I get a silver badge or something for joining you here? I hope so. He, he, he's had, he's had, uh, Thomas has been burned by gamification products before. So like, uh, I have, I, I remember this, like when you thought you were like, uh, 
the chief ninja of a, of a coffee shop. Have you heard this, Alex? Oh yeah, Th- Thomas, you get thir- you get thirty seconds to tell the story. Okay, so this uh, check-in uh, apps didn't really take off in Sweden, but you know, Foursquare four was here, and uh, I, I took a look at the places you could check in in Malmö. And it turned out that there was a really nice coffee shop that basically was the only place you could check into. And it was close to my work and I, I love the cappuccino. So I started going there, checking in. But the thing was that, you know, I got the message, you have to check in like 30 times in order to be mayor on the place. So I went there and went there and went there and went there, <laughs> you know, so many times. And some, I don't know if someone else were doing it as well. So I spent so much time, so much money. And then suddenly a day, a very proud moment. I came in, you know, I became the mayor and I showed it to to the girl in the coffee shop and she just looked at me and she was almost annoyed. What is that? Who has put that up? I don't know anything about what, what this is. So, I mean, I would have got coffee half for the half price and I, I the only thing I got was, uh, you know, the... Embarrassment. Embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that, that sounds like your Foursquare coup de, attempted coup d'etat of yeah. local yeah. government, but uh, failed coup d'etat at that. Yeah. My, the gamification I really care about is I think I'm ranked number uh, 1,050 in the UK for Vivino. Oh, which is uh, maybe shows I have more of a problem than something I should be proud of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just about to say, like, it's a way to glorify alcohol consumption. I know a lot about uh, wines. To be fair, you know, you only have to taste. So I just, maybe I just, uh, I buy too many wines by the glass and not enough wines by the bottle. Maybe that's what it is. It's (laughs) moderation, guys. That's what we're talking about here. That's right. Three ways to fail in sales. Brought to you by memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you'll feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, eh, that's just boring. Three, Forget the CRM, probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, try Membrane for free today at Membrane.com. So one thing that I'm a li- little bit interested in is the tech stack. What, what did you use to for the community, for the LMS and the other sort of parts in what you did, the ideation and so on? So we... we um... Previous companies before Cognite, I had used Salesforce communities. Um, when we joined, when I joined Cognite, um, we were less of a Salesforce shop. We used it for CRM, but it wasn't kind of our full stack. So we had, let's say, more opportunity to choose. Um, and we chose Inside It, um, which is now owned by Gainsight. Uh, very fast time to value for us. And like you know, I, I think at the time we bought it, it wasn't the didn't have all the bells and whistles, but it was all about fast value, iterating quickly, making changes quite quickly as well. And they had good integrations to our other technologies, Zendesk for support, Skilljar for LMS, both integrate directly into the insided portal. So when you, you know, you click the support ticket tab and it iframes in your Zendesk tickets. And also we, uh, they have a t- plugin with Algolia for federated search. This was really important. If I start searching for a topic, it will search across our LMS. It will search across the support tickets that you personally have logged in the past and the community. So again, we're kind of providing this one experience through community to all users. Right. Um, so that was important for us uh, uh, as well. And of course, you know, we'd integrate that to Salesforce. We, we built our own customer success tool in Salesforce and community logins, community engagement was part of our customer engagement score that we were calculating for each customer. Um, so I guess that's a, a quick overview. 
Yeah. I love these types of uh, practical tips. Like the tech stack is obviously one thing. Like if you're building a community, you need to get the tech right. I think another thing that um, some people might be pissed at me when I say this, but I think people underestimate the resources it requires to actually build and run a community. Talk to us a little bit about like what resources did you actually use on a continuous basis? So I, so I joined in Cognite in August 2020. Um, and the first hire we made in September was a director of community. Um, her name was Anita. She's still at the business and, and really took this project and ran with it. You know, I think I have a picture of a whiteboard session that we ran kind of drawing out the long-term strategy, but having one owner and, you know, she's like laser focused on kind of like driving everything through community. So, you know, in all, <laughs> I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, like in company-wide all hands and team meetings, if there's an opportunity to plug, hey, why don't you post that in the community? She was the one flying that flag. I love that. So I have a quick question for you here then. So w when you realize that you need to have a director of community, was that equally clear to the rest of the management team, the CFO, CEO, or did you have to sacrifice another full-time employee somewhere like from your future headcount? Yeah, to get her in? Or was it clear that, no, no, you're going to get the customer success folks you need plus this person? Yeah, Cognite um, had some pretty high fo high profile Series A's and Series B's. Um, so so I think headcount was a little bit less of a concern. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I, I, I think I also joined the business. The business was transitioning out of being more of like a service, a, a services, cons, you know, tech enabled services company to a proper SaaS business. Right. So there was also a little bit of, you know, uh, let's say early trust to come in and say, no, 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 these are the things you need, right? This was month number one. And they kind of, I joined really as like one of the few pure play SaaS voices with no industrial experience. Um, so I think there was a little bit of just trust, but but maybe verify and we proved ROI. Um, so, so no, it wasn't so challenging to make the business case. I think um, the most important thing for us was being able to to take customer feedback because we, we we ran a customer survey, I think a couple months before I joined and one of the big pieces of feedback was three things. Your people are amazing. Your product is too hard to use. Uh, and I don't really know where to go to for what. Right. So we really latched on to that third point and it kind of made the case for us. And basically, you know, the case we made is like, you've invested in 12 sites, but no one is adopting all the stuff we're spending a bunch of time writing, like the release notes, the tech author, you know, product guides. Right. We're in customer success. Our job's to drive adoption of our products, but should we also not think about driving adoption of all of the things we already do to support customers using our products? And that really kind of made the case for us. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. Uh, besides the, the director of the community, your customer success folks, and you mentioned the product marketeers, was there anybody else that had on their weekly, monthly to-do list somehow support the community engagement internally? So customer success, we needed them to write articles and you know tag their customers and posts that might be useful. Um, our support team uh, definitely played a role because they would answer questions that would come in the community that were more technical in nature. Um, they would also like write every month, like a top 10, here's the support cases we're getting and here's the real answer, right? To kind of case deflect, but also engage. And then our product teams were super involved as well, as I mentioned around the early adopter groups. So it really became, you know, the goal was to unify the tech stack. The tech stack had a bunch of different owners, right? Those 12 sites had different teams responsible for them. 
So each of those teams had a hand to play in driving adoption through one place, you know, build a place that everyone goes so that my interest and my message can be sent through it. Right. And I think it took longer than I would have liked for some departments to see the light. And actually, you know, bluntly, our the product ideation module really brought a lot of product people on board with this. Um, and, and which is why I was so wrong at saying we should wait, um, because it really drove the right um, behavior because we showed them the value. We, we didn't rely on telling them the value. Yeah. Hey, I, I must ask this because like Thomas said in a previous slide, we tried this product uh, ideation process. How do you not end up in a situation where you held hostage? Yeah. Because people put it there, it's publicly and anything can happen, you know, like, yeah maybe you don't agree with the ideas or maybe you did agree, but there's delays or whatever it is like. And then you can end up in a world of not pleasant, not pleasant discussions. Let's put it that way. You can't unring the bell, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing. So some companies do something in between, which is like shortlisted democracy where they like show to their customers 10 things that they will do in the next three years and let the customer vote on which 10 is most important and that's a good way to try this, you know, without releasing all control. You know, for us, we had a massive, you know, I think 700 employees in the company, at least 300 were product and engineering, maybe even more. Uh, so we had a lot of ability to do stuff. I think, you know, honestly, one of Cognite's bigger challenges was not being very good at saying no and kind of building a lot of stuff that maybe one day will sell. And I say that with love and um, maybe some exaggeration. And this really helped us drive to be more customer driven. Um, and, and our customers weren't really coming in and saying, build this new big module. It was like, can you make this easier? C could you enhance this feature? Um, so, you know, I think in some ways we are maybe a little lucky, but my experience in this, and I've done this before in other companies is customers, if you just say no, you shouldn't be afraid of that because customers value transparency over getting what they ask for. And the platitude of like, yeah, maybe we'll think about it is more harmful than a hard no, this is not in our strategy. I'm sorry. But here's the things we are going to do, and I'd love your feedback on which one to do first. Yeah, and you know, I'm a believer in it, uh, and I think the on the plus side, it creates engagement and and more transparency, as you say. It, it gives also some more leverage as a product manager or so internally to say that you know these three things, these five things that seems to be very small things, are really important for the community. On the downside. I think if you're in a situation where you get a lot of suggestions, um, you might not. It it might be too much work for for the product management to to actually engage with it, and and then it becomes uh, sort of a little bit of a bad will situation. But I think, and here's the beauty, right? Community we think of as something that to launch to deflect cases for the long tail. Digital is for the many. Yeah, we're a high touch customer success team. We have 85 customers. Yeah, right. So we're not going to get too many ideas. No. We're going to drive depth of engagement and intimacy with our product team, and not just kind of open the floodgates for someone to not think about something when type it. Right. So I think there's actually a lot of advantages. Yeah, and what you said before, I think saying no and explaining why. We are not doing uh, one thing or another was also very valuable. Another thing here, so the community, was that only for internal purposes or did you use it for sales or, or um, information to potential customers? I'm not keeping track of how many times I've said this is a great question, but Daniel, I think I gave you one great question and Thomas, that's now your second. So <laughs> Challenge accepted. Bam. For those of you in the SaaS Nordic podcast betting pool, Thomas is now in the lead. Um, so this is a really important question. The, that doesn't count. That's still the second one. Um, 
it was really important for us to make a firm decision on that. And we kind of didn't. So originally we thought, let's, you know, first, first thing we did was we launched in beta. We found like our 10 most engaged customers, opened the community, got their feedback, tried to drive some posts. So it wasn't empty when we opened it to everybody. At that time, it was closed to those 10 customers. We then opened the community as closed, as in you have to log in, you have to you know, enter your password, you can't come and read our stuff if you're not a customer. And the thinking there was like, customers are not going to share their deep, dark secrets if they know that this is like searchable on Google in the inter- on the internet. And we ran with that for like six to 12 months and then realized, actually, we have a hell of a lot of partners that would, you know, we partnered with Microsoft, Google Cloud, Accenture. So massive partner armies that would benefit from just kind of happening upon this stuff. And we were finding our customers were just kind of talking about some product questions. I think it went hand in hand with like that digital digitalization community not taking off where they're not talking about their business problems. They're talking more about technical questions. So we recently opened it up for everyone. You have to be logged in to comment on stuff, but you can read without a password. That increased adoption. It drove transparency. And, and, and our sales team can now use it to go and say, hey, um, don't believe me. Look at our vibrant community of customers helping other customers. It's an incredible sales tool. Yeah. And then we're talking community-led growth also in, in you know, in multiple uh, ways. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So what would be your three best tips for anyone that wants to start this journey that, that doesn't have this in place at all? I mean, I think I think the first thing is if you build a community to be, you know, if the community... I, I don't think, I don't know if I coined this term. I really wish I, I hope I have, because I think it's great. Um, I'll let you guys decide. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Myself or someone else coined the term called like the org chart tech stack. And what I mean by that is now every, every team now has a, a software they can buy to make their life easier. Great. But what that means is that if I'm in support, I take the customer portal of my support system and expose it to the customer. If I'm in tr- enablement and training, I take the LMS and expose it to the customer, Right. So every column in the org chart has our technology and they're saying, hey, customer, you can self-serve part of my tech stack. But we don't realize that actually the customer's experience is they're engaging with every column in your org chart via technology. So if your community strategy is to have an org chart tech stack for the community team as the 13th site, it will fail because it is the last priority of people to go, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to community for this. No, that's not a muscle memory that you're ever going to train a customer to do. So Thinking of this as like a, for me, future of community is this is your post-sale website and it should have every digital thing that a customer can touch piped through it. If we think for a second, 80, 70 to 80% of revenue these days is coming from existing customers or for world-class companies should be. Marketing gets a massive budget to create a beautiful website. But if you're a customer of a SaaS company, the only time you go to a website is to find the login link for the product that you bought. You don't scroll through the website and read the articles, watch the videos because you bought it. You don't care. So we invest on content, content, content on the website, but you have this massive missing link for content, content, content for customers. And my view is the community replaces your marketing website to be that communication channel for your customers. But to be able to accomplish that, it has to not be the 13th item in the tech stack. I think that was one tip or trick um, but maybe that's good enough. All right. Uh, fair enough. So to round this off a little bit, uh, what is the future now for, for your company and maybe also in this area? Yeah, I'll talk about maybe the future of community. And I have no say or control over this anymore, of course. But 
I think the future of community, both for Cognite, but generally is A, kind of the marketing website example I gave you before, but maybe two more ideas. In marketing, I don't know everything about who I'm talking to. I'm trying to find the right audience, but I don't have their data. It should be a lot easier for us to target customers, right? That's something that is, uh, you know, I have data. When you log into the community, I know who you are. If I drive traffic to the community as the one place that customers go, I can start targeting you with interesting things that drive business. Let's say you're a red account. And when you log into the community, I know your, your health score. I know who you are. Well, I might on the homepage say, hey, get more value out of our product by attending this webinar tomorrow, right? If you're in the middle of an upsell process and you're an executive sponsor and you're logging in, I might put a customer case study of success with that module on the homepage to drive upsell and drive new business, right? So using that data, you know, build it so that they always show up, use data, right? Build it so they always show up, use data to drive the right outcome. And then you really start showing ROI. We started tracking community qualified leads as a lead source at Cognite because we put all of our customer case studies in a use case library on community. I would always demo that page when we introduce community to customers in QBRs. Two times, customers would say, hey, I didn't know you did that. Can I read some more? <laughs> or they'd also say, hey, where is my company? I want to be famous too. So then we got more customer advocacy. But it drove inbound upsell for our customers, which was amazing. And the last thing I think that we really need to focus on here is connecting the one-to-many with the one-to-one. What do I mean by that? Support, community, training, great. We've built a site where all of their stuff can go, we can, we can kind of connect. So everybody who's building content, one-to-many content, is sending it through community, so we're driving good adoption of our one-to-many stuff. But if the CSM is still spending five hours building the 50-slide QBR deck, spending two hours with the executive, and emailing a PDF attachment after the meeting, expecting that executive to open that PDF attachment in the future, there's a massive gap in how we're treating our customers, right? I guess you could, you could argue that follow-up email is also part of their digital experience. So for me, the future is also about connecting the one-to-one with the one-to-many. What I mean by that, and what we explored doing at Cognite and piloted with a few customers, we created a private group for just that customer, we would upload all of their customer success plans, all of their onboarding documents, all of their QBR decks, so that they could go to the community, download all of their relevant documents, engage with them, comment with, to us about them, and then stumble upon one-to-many content that's relevant for them as well. So that was kind of the, the dream of a fully connected post-sale experience for the customer. Right. Okay, so uh, that listening to this makes me think of... Uh... I think a really great question, if I may say it myself, Alex. Good. You're trying to earn. You're trying to. You're trying to earn the draw here. This might be so great that it might count for two. Okay. <laughs> no, all jokes aside. So you're touching about it's all about adaption, but it's also about driving potential upsells and maybe even brand new revenue. And I know it's it's a company wide initiative. These community exercises, but really, somebody needs to own this initiative. Does it live? In marketing, sales, customer success, success, who should own this? Yeah, I think the, the classic CS answer is it depends. And I, and I think... You forgot to say it's a great question, my man. Oh, I'm, I, was, I, was, I was leading up to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was a good question, Daniel. Thank you. Oh. We'll, let, uh, we'll let your uh, uh, frequent listeners can follow up and vote on some website. Yeah, I'm sure. exactly. 
<laughs> gamification at its finest. They, exactly. You can get a badge. You'll be the mayor of SAS Nordic Podcast. Um, but, but nobody will care. I'm sorry. No, you will get no coffee. <laughs> exactly. Um, so answering your question, I mean, I think it depends on the, the customer size, right? The, the, the customer success touch. High touch, for us, it made sense to, do, to, to, to incubate and launch in customer success because it was all about synchronizing the customer journey for customers. You know, I, I mean, I know nothing about digital customer success and this product that we just bought uh, at Nazaza is a digitally led, product-led growth tool. So I'm trying to educate myself and I'm asking the question of a lot of CS leaders at the moment, where does digital CS live, um, you know, for, for low-touch customers? And the answer varies every time I speak to someone. So I don't have an amazing answer for kind of, let's say, the more traditional community use case. Yep. I think for me, like the easiest for a SaaS company to really focus, for a startup company to focus is, I, I, people will hate me for saying pre and post sale because customer success is all about next sales and all that. But like, let's just simplify for a second. Sure. New customer acquisition is the job of marketing and sales. Find new customers, go and get them. Simple targets, don't distract yourself. Uh, customer success post sale is about enabling, growing, making customers successful, and we can use one-to-one -one tools for that, but also one-to-many tools, which is why I think community probably sits in the CCO organization. But as you grow and become an enterprise, it's a communication channel and it's mature, then maybe you unify it under marketing so that your pre and post-sale message is the same. Because the drawback of dividing kind of pre and post is that you sell a story that's beautiful into the market and then the, the reality is very different. Right. So I think maybe that's the, the best answer. It was a good question and it was a, I will say, mediocre answer, Daniel, but hopefully good <laughs> enough. It, it was a good answer. I'll, I'll give you that's that. So it was a good kind. answer. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Hey, awesome. So uh, uh, we are actually at the bottom of our hour. So let's just check in here. You're on an exciting new journey with Nazaza, like... What are you looking for right now? Like, you know, what drives success for you? What's important for you now? Oh, man, good question. Um, I mean, I think the digital CS stuff is important. So I guess expertise for people that want to lend an hour to like give me an education in digital customer success. I'm, I'm probably one of the traditional CS leaders that came out of like high touch human led customer success. And obviously technology has evolved and we've explored a fun new use case at Cognite with community, but that's one very specific use case. I like that. We, we can all learn from each other. For sure. Yeah. So that's probably, probably the main focus. Uh, and maybe if there are any tour operators and travel agencies listening, <laughs> of course, you can find me online. Yes. And what about uh, learning from others? Like, is there anybody particularly you'd like to see on the show here? Who should we bring on and why should we bring on him or her? There's one name that comes to mind. He is my customer success nemesis. Okay. Okay. This exists. His name is Remco DeVries. He's the VP of marketing at Incited by Gainsight. Did you guys not do like some uh, drinks and shakes together and like in some, uh, some, some sexy like uh, jumpsuits? <laughs> yes. So we did a, a little bit, a little uh, live webinar um, called Juicing with Remco. And it was about <laughs> making smoothies in red and yellow and green. And the ingredients uh, uh, were different elements of a customer health score. He's, uh, he's not my, he's going to hate me saying this. I have a I have a semi serious dream one day, folks. That um, <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, this is exciting. Go continue. <laughs> and I just realized I'm kind of invoking Martin Martin Luther King in this. So <laughs> I, I this is not meant to be compared to anything that man has done. Let me revise my statement. I have a aspiration that is not I'd say 75% not real, um, which is one day using the marketing budget that Remco brings and the improv and acting talent of us both our customer success video content will find us invited to star in a uh, feature film or TV show. 
So pivoting my career from customer success to the silver screen is uh, not a goal of mine per se, but like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kind of uh, ride this horse until it, until we have to stop. Let's say we have a new um, webinar coming up. It will be Christmas holiday themed. I can tell you that. I'll break that news live here today. I'm not authorized to do that, but I just did. So you can ask him all the tough questions, um, but he brings the marketing budget. I bring the mediocre jokes and uh, enthusiasm, and we're trying to produce some very exciting customer success content. And I think also he has a lot to say about this topic to pivot to see something a little bit more serious. Um, he obviously has been at Insider for a long time and and um, uh, maybe is a good follow-up to those who are interested to learn a little bit more. No, th this was a lot, a lot, lots of fun, uh, very insightful. So Alex, thanks a lot again for, for coming to the show and uh, telling us all about your journey so far here um, and best of success to you with Nazaza. Daniel, that was a great closing. Thank you for that. Thank you. Three, bam. Daniel, what's your takeaway after this interview? Actually, I'm going to flip it around because you always say that I get to steal the good ones because I go first. So, so you're going to take a really bad one here, so you will... No, oh. no, actually not. I know how excited you were about this one community episode. So why don't we start with you? What is your big takeaway, Thomas? I give you a blank canvas here. I think Alex said it well. You need to make sure that community is not just another thing that you are doing besides all the other initiatives. It needs to be the go-to place for all customers when they want to know things, when they want to interact with you, when they want to learn. And um, to really put effort into that to make sure that you create content that gives value and that you also are transparent and interacts and really put resources uh, in doing this. So now I took like four or five. So what is left for you? I mean, they, they were pretty good ones. Uh, so, so for me, he, he said it in, at least in my world, in a few different ways and something that we think a lot about in our community. It's, it's about what I sometimes call the activation moments. If you don't have uh, a plan for how to activate your community to actually just engage and not just consume, you're going to not be successful with this exercise. So like they had the feature request exercise, they had uh, the customer success people writing engaging articles and tagging people, asking for engagement and so on. But there's different ways where you essentially, at least at the beginning, need to pull people into a conversation because it's not just going to happen on its own. So figure out what those activation moments are and double down on them. That's my big takeaway. Right. And talking about community-led growth, um, that is something that uh, you know is a big passion for us uh, in, in this community exercise that we are doing here at SAS Nordic and SASIEST. And we hope to see you all at SASIEST 2023 in April in Malmö 18th and 19th, but also at other activities that we have throughout the year in our network groups. Now we are open for, for um, applications for our CEO network for 2023. So, uh, and also the executive network, if you're a leader within maybe customer success, but also within sales, marketing, product people, uh, finance and partner and yeah, all of that. So you can head over to sasnordic.com and not only can you find interesting content written by our dear community members, you can also go in under community and join the Slack community that is open for everyone or apply to the CEO or executive network. So a lot of opportunities there. And if you like what we are doing, we would be happy if you would go into Spotify or iTunes and give us a good review. And uh, 
Well, see you out there. I hope you have a great day and we'll soon be back with some new content. We will indeed. <laughs>